Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. Hey there, Cradio World, and welcome to another episode of Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. As always, you have your faithful team here of Jeremy Ambrose, myself, Javina Graham, and your very own Bishop Julian Porteous. So let's get into the, today's Q&A topic. Bishop, we live in, in a time where a very hot-button hot issue is, is the idea of same-sex marriage, as it's, as it's been labelled in the media, or two people of the same gender being able to marry. And what people often frame this debate around is the idea of the definition of marriage. I'm not sure there is an agreement about this, but can you tell us what the definition of marriage is? I think this current debate has um, caused everybody to pause and think about the nature of marriage and and because one of the uh, efforts being... um, pushed through various legislatures around the world is that is the need to change the definition of marriage. That in itself is very interesting, that uh, there obviously is considered to be an accepted definition of marriage, and now people are saying we need to change it because we want to open it up for, uh, particularly for couple people with same-sex attraction wanting to have their relationship um, designated as a, as a marriage. It raises some, some very interesting questions. Firstly, just with regard to the definition of marriage, we could ask ourselves, where does the definition emerge from? In other words, is marriage something which a society actually defines? Now, I think the very first thing we could say is that marriage is not an institution of a particular society or a particular culture because marriage itself is a natural institution. It belongs to humanity, if you like, rather than something which is uh, decided upon or or created by a particular society. And, of course, as a natural institution, it has been, from time immemorial, naturally understood, if you like, understood by a whole variety of cultures and traditions and practices and religions uh, as having a particular nature and character. This has been, up till the present moment, really universally accepted, that that marriage involves a lifelong commitment of a man and a woman to each other, and that relationship generates children. Now, the fact that there is a a definition in law, say in the law in Australia around marriage, raises the question, well, why then have governments or or various um, um, societies actually developed uh, particular definitions and legislation surrounding marriage. I really think to a large extent it's not about really the two people. I mean, two people can form a relationship and it doesn't have to necessarily um, be enshrined in law. So you can have a friendship. We don't have laws around friendships, for instance. I think the reason why societies have actually instituted legislation surrounding marriage and and, and also provided definitions for the nature of marriage has to do fundamentally with children. It has to do with the fact that societies recognise that the best 
um, outcome for the future of the society is going to be found in the proper nurturing and, and care of children, raising the next generation. So societies have introduced legislation and provided definitions of marriage, I think largely because marriages are oriented to family. Marriages are oriented to the generation, the nurturing, the education of, of children, and if you like, from a society's point of view, future citizens. And so societies have brought in legislation in order to... Um, to ensure that children have the best opportunity of being properly nurtured and so on. Um, so this, this current uh, debate uh, is interesting from that point of view, that it does, it does uh, ask the question of us, can societies that have really just simply recognised the universal understanding of the nature of marriage, which has come out of humanity, um, can we change that definition? In other words, do, do we really make a decision that we're not going to accept what humanity has always understood and actually change the, the definition to suit um, particular needs or particular group in society that currently is agitating for their own relationships to be recognised as marriage? Well, to continue that question, Bishop Julian, I mean, perhaps... I mean, we, when we go to a lot of weddings nowadays, we hear these terms, oh, I'm marrying my soulmate, or I'm marrying my best friend. Really, there's no question of children in, in all of that. So would that be a, an argument that would be put forward in terms of marriage being changed or not being about children anymore? I think it's very interesting, isn't it, how um, people's understandings of marriage in more recent times have Change In a way, I think in the past, it was always not necessarily ever spelt out because it was, it was always accepted. We, we, we love each other, yes, of course, we want, and we want to enter into marriage, yes. But there was always the understanding that, uh, that family would be the natural outcome of the, uh, of the, the relationship of, of the marriage and that... Uh, it was it was so obvious that it wasn't often spoken about. It didn't need to be because that was what people always understood. But of course, a whole lot of things have changed in our society. <clears throat> Situations uh, have uh, have altered in a whole range of ways, in which I think people are um, are changing a little bit in the way that they perceive marriage. And we do find, and I think these words do capture a changed attitude. Maybe it's not anti-children or necessarily or, or, uh, or anything, but to a certain extent, we're making marriage something which is just about the two people, my soulmate, you know, and it's a very beautiful thing that people have this sense of a deep bond at the very deepest levels of their being, I mean, it's a very beautiful thing. My best friend, a sense that, that we've, we've got a, a relationship which is founded in trust and in openness to each other, all those things, of course, are very, very good. And they are integral to the, the nature of marriage. But the danger is that we just limit it to that. And maybe people starting to say, this is what marriage is. Marriage is really about us. It's a really, really about our relationship. It's really about me finding fulfilment, finding uh, a soulmate who's going to be a companion for life and so on. So, if you like, we've enclosed marriage narrowly around the particular relationship between the man and the woman, and 
while people are not going to say we, we reject children, but they're likely to not see the marriage fundamentally oriented towards children and their, their understanding of the nature of what they're doing is more about them. And I think that shift, subtle as it is, um, is part of the, the reason why sometimes people think, well, surely then two other people of the same sex who love one another, surely they can get married because we understand marriage is about fulfilling my needs uh, as you know, as having a, a companion for life. So why not two people with same sex having the same uh, having the same desires, and therefore surely we should accept their request to have their their relationship recognised as marriage. But I think what we've done is we've actually moved away from what humanity has always understood as the, the essential nature of of marriage. And so what can we say it is about children that that links them to their mother and their father, if, if we're talking about all this? Yes, I, I think there's a number of ways of looking at this. The, the, the question of the, the, the place of children in, in marriage. One of the first things I, I often say this to, to couples, but, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a biological truth. I, I, I use the phrase, love gives life. So the love of a husband and wife creates life. That's, that's the nature of sexuality. Sexuality is, is not only the expression of love, but it is naturally oriented towards a generation of new life. And, and therefore, we can't separate. And I think that's the difficulty here when a couple just see their relationship and see, if you like, sexuality only in terms of expression of love, that they... They don't understand that, that there is a further dimension to it, which is part of our nature as human beings, part of the biology, if you like. Um, and, and so I think one of the first things you have to say is, by its very nature, marriage is oriented towards the generation of new life, the generation of children. Perhaps one of the other things that I think is, um, is very important here is, is the simple fact that Every single human being has a biological mother and a biological father. That's, again, a fact of biology. Now, we now have modern te techniques whereby that can be generated in, in a variety of ways, not just only naturally, but also, if you like, artificially, um, through, through uh, what we call using of in vitro fertilization or all sorts of different methods that can be utilised. And, of course... Same-sex couples would say, well, well we, we want to have children, um, and they would then look to, to using these artificial means by which they have children. Now, that child may, in fact, be generated, but either the mother or the father of that child, the biological mother or the biological father of that child, will not be necessarily in that relationship. And I think... That raises a lot of questions. I, I, th I think at this moment we have to stand back a bit from marriage and ask ourselves a more basic question. What are the rights of children here? Not just the rights of the adults, but we have to start thinking more seriously about the rights of the children. Are we, in fact, denying children a very basic fundamental human right? and that is the right to have a father 
and a mother, to have a biological father and a biological mother. And, and also from this that we start to see that that when we look at marriage, we need to, as I think, as I said at the very beginning, that, that legislation around marriage is really there for the sake of children. Maybe it's time for us to stop and think that we need to look at how can we ensure the best situation for children when we come to consider marriage. Bishop, if I might ask one further question. It's a very valid point that you make that every child needs a father and a mother and they have a right to that. But many would say to you, well, there are plenty of situations in society where children don't grow up with both of those things um, and, and we just deal with it. How is, how is it different in, in the case of... That, that's a very valid question. <clears throat> Firstly, a, a couple can marry and desire to have children and not be able to do it uh, for, for various reasons. And, um, and so we, those, that couple could be, could be childless. We have another situation where a, a marriage breaks down um, or a child is born out of wedlock and, um, and so the child only has maybe often a, a mother look after them that doesn't have to have a father <clears throat> these are all situations that that are less than satisfactory um, for the well-being of children and this is generally recognized that 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 uh, children flourish best in a stable fa family environment where there is the active engagement of father and mother in their upbringing that that's uh, I think that's absolutely true I think we have to make the simple distinction between those situations that um, that occur for a variety of reasons, and a situation where we, if you like, from the very beginning, rule out the possibility of a child having the advantage of a biological father and biological mother. So if we actually legislate in our society, say in the redefinition of marriage, in, in, um, in such a way that we're actually preventing children from having the advantage so it's, it's a big mm. difference between that and, and what may happen, uh, unfortunately, in our society. So this whole question does really provide us with a chance of re-examining our attitudes towards marriage and, and maybe particularly for young people today to think, well, how do I envisage my marriage? And do I, do I just see it? As, as something for myself in terms of I want to marry my soulmate, I want to have my I want to have a close relationship which is going to be um, sustaining and, and, and enriching for my life or do I do I see myself as fundamentally oriented towards family that, that marriage is oriented towards a generation of children. So that's one question we could certainly explore that's come out of the current debate and I think a very valuable question to, to consider at this point. Thank you Bishop Julian. I think it's been great to hear these points and you've given us a lot of food for thought in terms of rethinking really what marriage is and um, what we've understood it to be all this time. So thank you. Jeremy, we, we now turn the tables, if you like, in, in our Q&A sessions this morning. And as, as we traditionally have done, we take a moment at the end of our, uh, our discussion together to talk about just some little curiosity, some uh, little aspect of Catholic life and Catholic culture. And, 
Today, I, I just thought I'd um, speak about um, a very simple uh, thing that, that um, particularly priests use, and we're probably familiar with the word, but it's, it's just something, um, a little curiosity, if you like, that I'd like to share with you. I'm sure you're familiar with the word picks. Have you heard the word the word picks? Is that picks with a P-Y-X? Yeah, P-Y-X, yeah. Well, I know how to spell it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, uh, the picks, of course, as we know, is, um, is particularly used for, um, when, say, for instance, when a priest or, or, or a, a special minister of, of Holy Communion takes... Um, Takes communion to to the sick. It's it's a it's a, a little container. Normally these days it has gold or, or silver, um, and the blessed sacrament is placed in the in the pyx and and taken. Uh, it's, a, it's a receptacle to carry the blessed sacrament, if you like. Um, the the pyx, um, it's and two sometimes um, it. Traditionally, it used to be carried around the neck with a placed in a little uh, bag around the neck with a cord around the neck. That was called a burse, uh, just out of curiosity. It's probably not used so much now, but it was just a, again a way in which the priest could carry the blessed sacrament in a respectful way, rather than put it in the pocket or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the pics, um, actually, it's a it's a word that was used in Latin, but it, its origins go back to to Greek word, which really just speaks about a small box initially it was a, a wooden box and um and and so initially it was a word that, that the church took up to to um to describe this container that would be used to take communion sick because as you're probably aware one of the main reasons initially that the blessed sacrament was reserved after mass was was so that there would be hosts that could be taken to the sick and so from very beginnings of the church uh, a receptacle was needed to carry uh, the blessed sacrament and and so that's where the the word uh, came from it's it's also pix is also uh, used uh, for instance when the uh, a larger host which is used for um, adoration of the blessed sacrament for instance uh, has to be kept in the in the tabernacle uh, so you sometimes have a larger pix and uh, that particular host is normally also held by what we call a lunette, a small crescent-shaped mm. item that uh, that then goes into the uh, the monstrance. Uh, so, so the, the word "pix" has uh, has that uh, has that origin. It was, it's interesting too, in, in a way. Um, in initially, that that was uh, the first place for what we now would describe as a tabernacle. Um, and sometimes in very ancient cathedrals, what they used to call was a pix would be hung from the, from the ceiling. It would be a container hung from the ceiling in which the blessed sacrament would be reserved and then used to be taken to the sick. So the, the pix is quite an ancient word and it, and it is, uh, does reflect particularly the idea of the reservation of the blessed sacrament and, and then taking communion to the sick. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you, Bishop Julian, for another great piece of information. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Q&A with Bishop Julian. You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Claudius. For more episodes, visit radio.com.